scripture or the word of God within us and the word of God amongst us. Thanks, Thanks be to God. If you're not thinking this is a weird story, you might not have been paying attention. <laughs> I hope you find it troubling. Uh, one night when I was teaching, I teach at Fresno Pacific, when class ended, I could see there was a student waiting for me by the door. She was obviously waiting until the crowd had thinned to speak with me. When finally most everyone else had left, she asked me a question pretty much all in one breath. She said, April, I have a lot of work missing and I'm afraid my grade is really low, but I'm afraid to check what it actually is, so can I do some extra credit? Um, one, that's not a question that anyone asks on a good day. So I felt for her. But two, I couldn't figure out how to respond at first because the question didn't quite make any sense. This was a college course. It came with a syllabus. There were assignments, and each assignment was worth a certain number of points. So somehow in her disarray and in her obviously really bad several weeks, uh, she was kind of started living in a different world and making up her own syllabus, I think. <laughs> so in response to her, I nodded and I paused for a bit and I finally said, let's back up and look at your grade together. And then instead of talking about extra credit, let's talk about the assigned work first. <laughs> I felt like I was trying to pull her back to reality. The conversation between the Sadducees and Jesus in the Gospel of Luke is a bit confusing at first also, because Jesus' response doesn't answer the Sadducees' question. The Sadducees are living in a different reality than Jesus is. For them, the world works one way, and the world as they see it is so disordered that Jesus can't answer their question. He doesn't answer it. Instead, he shows them what the world is really like. So what is it exactly they're asking? There's a man who marries a woman. They have no children and the man dies. The social system of the ancient Israelites provided for the carrying on of the man's family name and for the socioeconomic provision of the woman by stipulating that the man's brother would marry her. So on the one hand, the patriarchal system seeks to ensure the continuance of the male family line and at the same time, the woman, who would be at great risk as a widow, is provided for. So the woman marries the man's brother, who also dies, and this happens over and over again, seven times. This is so sad. After years of loss and grief, the woman dies as well, as we all do. And the Sadducees now stand before Jesus asking, who does this woman belong to? Which man gets her for eternity? This question is so messed up. Jesus doesn't answer it. We'll come back to what he says, but I want to sit with the Sadducees' question for a little while longer. I feel really good about my alarm and my queasiness and anger about the Sadducees' question right now. I feel really good about it. <laughs> I have my own response prepared. It's something like, none of these men owns her. <laughs> with a bunch of expletives thrown in. 
<laughs> Add your own in your head. Choose your favorites. I'm also pointing my finger at them. Guess which finger? <laughs> Their question reveals they are concerned about stratification, about control, the commodification of people. It reveals the deep sin that they're caught in. The scriptures condemn systems that operate according to questions like these. People are not to be bought and sold. Leaders are not to lord <clears throat> over their subjects. Even kings should be humble. God's people shall not oppress others, for they were once enslaved, and God saved them. God's people shall work to create just communities in which people are free, cared for, and share meaningful relationships. I know some people here pretty well, and I think I might be preaching to the choir about these things. You may already know this. You may already agree with it. The more I thought about it, the more I became convinced, though, that we delude ourselves into thinking we don't need to hear a story like this because we've checked off the really big and obvious boxes. Yes, I understand that people do not own one another. Check mark. <laughs> I believe in the importance of working for justice for those enslaved in the modern world. Check mark. Gender equality matters in God's kingdom. Check mark. So now I can, I can feel that I'm ready to move on from this strange story. But we'd be fooling ourselves if we didn't take a moment to enter the Sadducees' world, to find ourselves in it. The Sadducees are asking questions in the face of death, and they're asking questions about the next life. Their questions about what comes next reveal their priorities in the present. Their priorities center around control, ownership. The body and human life in this system has become an object to be counted, evaluated, and assigned. I wonder, what are our priorities? And what is our system? Who or what do we spend our time chasing after? trying to own. In the face of loss of any kind, what do we spend our time trying to set up to maintain our own security? To maintain our security and legacy, do we concern ourselves with cultivating a good image among our friends and online? Maybe there's only certain groups where we are more likely to expend our energy on cultivating a certain persona. Maybe it's here. What about material possessions? What do we spend our time and energy trying to get so that we can feel satisfied with the rung of the socioeconomic tier in which we find ourselves? What about people? What are we trying to get from those around us? Who do we feel the need to control for the sake of our own security? It's safe to assume it's most likely to be the people we're closest to. Family, coworkers, friends. 
who do we feel like we really need other people to be for us? What status in our circles of influence are we shooting for that we really think will make us feel better if we get there? Whatever we are most concerned about owning is the thing that owns us. What we possess and even what we seek to possess possesses us. The Sadducees are owned by their disordered system just as much as we are. But freedom is possible. We think we know how the world works, just like the Sadducees. But Jesus shows us that it's different than we think. Our minds are limited, like the Sadducees, by an imagination that sets up all our priorities according to possession. It's really scary to consider doing away with such a system. If possession and control defines my relationships, then without those things, we fear we might be alone. But the opposite of possession, according to Jesus, is not scarcity and it's not loneliness. It's life. It's expansion and it's belonging. We need to examine what we're seeking to possess and encounter what's possessing us because being free from those things will enable us to more fully participate in God's work to upend oppression, to do justice and mercy. All forms of oppression and possession are tied up together. And anywhere a thread is loosened is good for the whole knot. The freedom of the woman in the Sadducees question is tied up with your freedom. And vice versa. I like to think Jesus' eyes blazed in response to the Sadducees' question. The same story is told in the Gospel of Matthew, and in that version, the first sentence that comes out of Jesus' mouth is, you are wrong, because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. But what could they be wrong about, for they'd asked a question and not answered, offered an answer. It was the question. The question is, so entirely wrong. In response, Jesus tells us what resurrection means. First, it will happen. There will be a physical, embodied resurrection of humans in the next age. The whole person and bodies matter to God. That is what God is at work restoring. But not just the future matters too. The present also matters. Jesus says in his response that God is a living God, active, doing things now that lead to life. In his response, God shows up on the scene and says, you are my children. The knot we've been caught in to try to save ourselves starts to unravel, and we are free from spending all our energy trying to possess and hold on. So now we are alive too. And we get to decide. Do I want to show up for this? Do I want to be part of this family? Am I satisfied with my priority system? Is it working for me? Or am I looking for release? Do 
Do I want to be a part of God's freedom work? Because the last thing that's going to happen at this point is that God will make me. Resurrection and life in the present requires stepping into some form of examination of the knots. It's not exactly a fun activity, I don't think. But that kind of presence to reality is what enables us to fully participate in the family of God. When we allow ourselves to be free from possessing, we are invited into belonging. We are invited into the closeness of the kingdom of God, where people belong to God and each other. It's the kingdom of God. There's many other statements related to marriage that Jesus says elsewhere in the various gospels, in those places referring to its value. He talks about it in ways that challenge abuse and free people from shame. When we pull all of them together, it's clear that he's not putting a general kibosh on the institution of marriage. That's not what's happening in the story. But he's making a really strong statement about the nature of relationships. Jesus blasts through our assumptions about what family is. He does this in other teachings too in the Gospels. At one point, even denying his connection to his earthly mother to make the point that family includes every one of God's people. Instead of ownership, which limits participation to the owner and the own, it's all about belonging, which draws everybody in as free participants. Instead of Jesus' family being limited by his blood connection, it's expanded to include all of God's people. Instead of being stuck together in small silos, the whole people is knit together in a mysterious way. So much so that it includes people that we would not normally think of as present. We think of them as passed on. But mysteriously, they are present. That's what Jesus says in his response. have to close with some form of confession. I'm not sure how convinced I am that all this is true. I really, really want to show up to God and to church with my list of the things that I need. Kind of like my student who had some sort of imaginary syllabus that she was working off of. I have my list and my syllabus and I'm standing before God, asking that God grant it. And I think in the story, God is saying that it's not in my best interest to do it that way, nor in the best interest of my friends, or my family, or the people I lead. But I'm really surprised by the fact that God seems to be saying that my list is too small. God's world is bigger than I allow my own to be. It is eternal, after all. So I'll, I will leave us with two final questions. The first is, what's one thing, just one, that you are really holding on to tightly? Something you feel not willing to let go of? 
something that might be owned. place of that thing, that you accept the offer of full belonging, full kinship, full family with God, welcomed, delighted over as children. In this reality, what looks different about your life? Now feels like the perfect time to say amen, which means may it be so.